Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast. It is created by medical content creator Owen Scott Muir, MD. This episode is part of a series on individual medicines. Data is presented and referenced, but it's a farewell to prescribing. I learned psychopharmacology, but it's not the focus of my career anymore. Other installments in this series include clonopin, loracidone, olanzapine, zoranolone, benzos, caffeine, semaglutide, lamotrigine, cocaine, xylazine, lithium, and avulity, as well as Adderall in a couple of different riffs. Thanks for listening. By the 1960s, the treatment had been medicalized. The first psychotropic drugs were discovered by serendipity and introduced into psychiatry. The symptom relief they brought was so startling and persuasive that there was a major shift from psychologic to pharmacological treatment. That's a quote from Leon Eisenberg, MD, the stepfather of Lawrence B. Guttmacher, MD. Alprazolam is a benzodiazepine medication that has the brand name Xanax. It has an FDA label for panic disorder with or without agoraphobia. In my Clonopin article and my prior benzo review, I talk about lipophilicity, how fast a drug can get into the brain based on how soluble it is in fat. A lipid bilayer protects our brain from drugs inviting themselves in willy-nilly. It gets into the brain fast. It has a short half-life. The liver breaks it down rapidly. Xanax is fast in and fast out. Was the drug concocted to be abused? With Xanax, you won't even remember you asked. The world would be better if nobody ever knew it existed. Those doctors who promoted it lied to themselves. One of the Xanax evangelicals told me so himself. Lawrence Guttmacher, MD, is his name. He was an older man when we met. He is very tall. My mother immediately remembered meeting him over a decade ago when I read this article to her on a first pass. He thanked me for allowing us to train Owen as a psychiatrist, she noted. He is an advisory dean at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. In the first week of medical school, the first lecture he gave me was about not allowing drug reps into the hospital. Only 15 years later, writing this, do I apprehend how haunted he was by the pharmacology he midwifed. He has written a medication guide and an older ECT manual also. He spends his time teaching now. Dr. Guttmacher is in the family business. He is a third-generation psychiatrist. His grandfather was the president of the American Eugenics Society. He took over from Margaret Sanger, the champion of the birth control pill. It kept undesirable people from having more children. Lawrence Guttmacher is an American Jew. Eugenics was repurposed from utopian, enlightened Jewish, and intellectual ideals by Nazis. It was promptly used against the same Jews and other, quote, feeble-minded undesirables, end quote. The subsequent rejection of medicalization of psychiatric distress is understandable among largely Jewish analysts given Nazis. The following is again from Drs. Guttmacher and Eisenberg. Quote, 
Psychoanalysis helped psychiatry preserve an abiding interest in the individuality of patients, while other medical specialists were losing sight of the patient in their preoccupation with the biology of disease. It connected the symptoms of mental illness to the psychopathology of everyday life. Psychiatrists learned to help patients by paying attention to their mental symptoms in an era when psychiatry had no procedures. When psychoanalysis was banned from the Congress of Psychology at Munich as a Jewish science in October 1933, psychoanalysts in Berlin and Vienna began to migrate to the UK and the US. Some 100 to 200 European analysts and some 30 to 50 analytically oriented psychologists emigrated to America in the 1930s. The membership of the American Psychoanalytic Association was only 135 in 1936 and almost doubled to 249 by 1944. This influx was as significant intellectually as it was numerically. Many refugees became leaders in the movement. End quote. This was Lawrence Guttmacher's inheritance. Idealism about mind or brain gone catastrophically south. His father and mother were quixotic psychiatrists as well. Psychoanalysis was potent because it explained something. People love explanations, but don't often demand they be correct. Before the age of oral medicines, psychoanalysis offered these. Quote, no other psychologic theory provided what was purported to be so comprehensive an account of the origins of psychopathology. The brain sciences were largely irrelevant to clinical practice. In the mid-century, descriptive psychiatrists were held in little esteem because the diagnosis was unreliable and made little difference in treatment. The psychiatric pharmacopoeia was limited to hypnotics and sedatives. This changed with Thorazine. The push towards biological explanations continued with the advertising efforts of fellow psychiatrist, Dr. Arthur Sackler. His advertising firms, plural, which he purchased and disguised his control of, were behind campaigns for drugs like Valium, Thorazine, Cirax, Milltown, and the rest. This was before his feckless son, Dr. Richard Sackler, took his portion of the family business and murdered undesirables with oxycodone. Physicians love to be scientific-ish. We love the sense of science. We love an explanation. Lawrence Guttmacher loved explanations. Xanax worked, plus safer than Milltown. As he would later write, doing some heavy editing for his late stepfather, Quote, the influence of the authority of one's teachers, the experience of seeing patients improve during psychotherapy, most non-psychotic patients did, and the logic and malleability of psychodynamic explanations, and the readiness with which patients desperate for a way out of their dilemmas accepted those explanations, combined to make believers of all but the most skeptical of trainees. Those who were non-believers were easily dismissed with ad hominem attacks on their unanalyzed resistance. In that week one lecture in medical school, Dr. Guttmacher was my authoritative teacher. The lesson, be accountable. Even for violations of good sense, one has yet to commit. The class featured slides 
on the percentage of doctors who felt drug representatives had influenced them, according to themselves. A scant 1% admitted to any possibility of influence by industry. The same physicians' opinions about colleagues, 99% of them above any influence, remember, were presented on the next slide. In my first week of medical school, Lawrence Guttmacher highlighted our credulousness. 40% of the same physicians understood their colleagues would fall under the thrall of attractive drug reps. Physicians were justly suspicious of pharma's influence on everyone except ourselves. This, of course, was exactly the pitch Arthur Sackler was making. As far as I can tell, he was an astute psychiatrist. Physicians love to be helpful. What is the most addictive substance for physicians? Samples. We can give them to our patients. We love it when our office staff were gifted with treats. We were jonesing to be gracious. We get hooked when people listen to us. Industry paid for all of this. Arthur Sackler's disciples were not high on their own supply, unlike individual physicians, intoxicated by how beyond reproach they were. They paid for us to talk to each other. They paid more if the person being listened to said the right things about Xanax, administrative staff, lunch, the same devious machinations of Italian grandmothers, manja, were deployed to influence physicians. There were attractive people to listen to us about how much we cared and our desire to be gracious. The Sacklers ensured it. Arthur was a psychiatrist after all. Someone to hear you out feels good. We had so much to teach. Dr. Lawrence Guttmacher researched panic disorder at the National Institute of Mental Health earlier in his career. He was a compelling speaker for Xanax, given his panic disorder pedigree from NIMH. One morning, he awoke to a horrible realization. Xanax wears off after three to four hours. Everyone waking up after eight hours of sleep was in Xanax withdrawal. That feels like a panic attack. The obvious cure next to the bed was the first of four Xanax tablets as prescribed and recommended by Dr. Guttmacher in well-appointed dinners throughout the day. The next day, this cycle of panic would begin again, but this time worse. And the next day, a little worse still. This was a cycle of self-reinforcing madness, but it moved product. In one of the more demonic decisions ever made, Xanax was formed into a convenient bar with four subdivisions. This allowed someone to break two milligrams apart and take 0.4 milligrams four times a day. No one would ever think to take it all at once unless they were anyone, in which case this is the most immediately obvious strategy. Xanax is a nightmare. It makes opiate and other overdoses endlessly more lethal. It's illegal in the UK and should be pulled from the market everywhere. This drug of abuse doesn't need to be an answer to an exam question on medical boards ever again unless it is under the obviously unethical compounds section. High lipophilicity, short half-life, high potency, and poor cross-tolerance frustrating attempts to switch to less harmful compounds. It is the most toxic in the overdose of all benzodiazepines. Xanax is present in 1 in 20 of deaths by overdose. 
once the genie is out of the bottle. Xanax will help you forget your woes. It does not stop. Fake bars are fueling death. Xanax is so addictive that counterfeit drug makers use its branding. Why is a prescription drug a better abuse brand than street drugs? In total, there were over 54,000 overdose deaths, including 2,437 with evidence of counterfeit pill use. And that's from the CDC between 2019 and 2021. Xanax is a pox upon the house of medicine. And Lawrence Guttmacher, MD, was eager to blowtorch his very well-reimbursed speaking career when he understood the truth. Lawrence Guttmacher is an excellent teacher. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Psychiatrist podcast. I've been your host, Owen Scott Muir, MD.